0: Welcome, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephen Long, and this is The X Factor, the podcast for leaders by leaders. Today, I'm uh, joined with uh, uh, Ben Levin of Level Equity in New York. Hi, Ben. How are you today? I'm doing great, thanks. Well, great. Why don't you uh, tell me uh, who you are and what you do?
1: Will do. Thanks for having me. Uh, Ben Levin, I'm one of the co-founders and one of the co-managers of Level Equity, which is a growth equity fund. Uh, personal background uh, I'm a native New Yorker. I was born uh, in Manhattan in 1972. I'm starting to show my age. Um, I moved out of the city when I was quite young. I grew up in, in very rural Massachusetts. My parents moved to Massachusetts for a year in 1976, and they're still up there. So I grew up there. Uh, I went away to uh, school when I was quite young. I went away to a boarding school and then off to college, uh, and I returned to Manhattan after college uh, for what has been an entire career in financial services. So my first job out of college, I worked, I did a two-year internship, kind of a classic investment banking internship at Solomon Brothers when it was Solomon Brothers. Uh, I took a little bit of time uh, off after that. I spent about 10 months pursuing a personal passion, and then I've been working in private equity ever since. For the first four and a half years of my private equity career, I worked for a wealthy family office that had a diversified set of business activities. I worked in what you'd characterize today as like a lower middle market uh, investment buyout business, a growth buyout business focused on industrial and basic industry businesses. I was an associate and a vice president doing analytical deal support and helping source and execute tuck-in acquisitions for an injection molder mostly and an aerospace and defense business. I did that for about four and a half years. That family took their real estate business public and the business I worked in uh, was sold off. The assets were sold off and I joined a then medium-sized, now very large growth equity firm where I stayed for a little under seven years until I I founded Level uh, with two other folks uh, in 2009. um, Level Equity is a growth equity firm. We focus on investing in rapid growth, mostly bootstrapped software and other technology businesses that we identify uh, primarily by cold calling. It's uh, an investment paradigm and investment methodology that has been around for several decades. Um, but we left to found the firm to focus on the lower end of that so that generally sub $50 million check size in these rapid growth software and other technology businesses.
0: Okay. Well, it's always great to speak with a fellow New Yorker, Ben. So uh, what, what, uh, yeah, what is the best aspect of, uh, of being a leader?
1: Oh, there's a lot of um kind of amazing uh things that being a leader opens up so for me um you know you're able to set direction uh, for me uh, it's been an, an ability to be really authentic to become a really authentic version of myself create an environment you found people found businesses for a variety of reasons one of the reasons we founded level was we wanted to create an awesome culture and so trying to create an environment where people can do uh, really good things, where people can be the best versions of themselves, trying to create an environment where performance, uh, you can get real performance out of people and people can build careers, they can build families, they can build lives. Um, being able to set direction is obviously super flattering. It's, it's a luxury, um, but it's one of the appealing aspects of being a leader as is, I think, the, the almost perfect accountability. Um, you know, when you're a leader or a co-leader uh, involved in leadership positions, uh, I think it's harder to delude yourself if things aren't working that it's anybody's fault other than yourselves. And I think that's a very positive dynamic. It, um, it's challenging. It creates accountability. It creates, um, for me, it's created desire to perform. There's kind of no layer of obfuscation or any ability to kind of hide from results. And I think that um, I think that's super appealing.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, now you mentioned uh, something about right, right in the beginning of uh, of answering the question about the uh, you know setting direction, but uh, but also setting direction you know for the company, and and I assume that has you know really has to do with culture because you you mentioned that not only just the you know creating a business, but creating a you know but creating lives, and I'm wondering you know you know how, you know what what were some of the effects of that because I think that's a more of a broad scale. Um, approach than, than most businesses take?
1: So I think uh, it's a great question. And I think they're, they're setting direction in terms of business direction. What types of investments are we going to make? What sectors are we going to focus on? But I'll, I'll try and answer the question on the cultural piece. Um, we started with the perspective that we wanted to build a great culture. But I think one of the things we, we found out over the first two, three, four, five years uh, is cultures are interesting and they grow on their own. And so when we first started the business, there were three of us. We knew each other very well we hired two people directly out of undergrad and kind of three people that know each other very well and two people that have a first job, doesn't a culture create? And so over time, um, as the firm got larger, uh, as we, uh, got more diverse, you started to see a culture, uh, develop on its own. But I think I've always thought the hallmarks of culture are a couple of things. Um, one, the ability to succeed, like, There being growth is, I think, intoxicating, and it really brings out the best in people, the ability to grow further in their career. Um, I think transparency, understanding what the relevant components of success are, how do you get from where you are to where you want to get to. Um, And I think that's an area where lots of businesses don't perform perfectly. It's hard to figure out what you need to do. Um, And then like the most basic of all, uh, do the folks that work together genuinely respect and like each other? Uh, and that doesn't mean everybody needs to be the same or have the same interests, but uh, a mutual respect. It's super fun. And I think inspirational, aspirational to work with really intelligent people, um, but to generally and to genuinely, excuse me, enjoy spending time with them. So, you now we've joked historically and internally about the plane test. You want to sit on a plane for six hours next to one of your coworkers. If the answer is no, you have a cultural problem. If the answer is always yes, you probably have a culture that at least is headed in the right direction.
0: That's a that's a great that's a great answer. So, uh, what do you see as the uh, primary responsibility uh, uh, of of being a leader?
1: Again, I'll I'll, I'll split it into. Um, there's a mission. We're an investment firm. We raise money for endowments and, and for pensions uh, and invest on their behalf. So, our, our our business mission is to create great returns for them. And generally, you you are um, trying to satisfy all the different constituents. Mm-hmm. More broadly, um, you shape culture, you shape business direction, you decide and and help influence areas of focus. Um, You want to be able to make decisions. I think it's very important as a leader to be able to make decisions. You want to be thoughtful, but you also want to be able to make quick decisions. It's often required in business, but I also think it's very challenging um, when you're not a leader to look to someone and try and get a decision and not be able to get a decision. The lack of a decision sometimes is a decision. So I think the ability to make decisions in dynamic environments, I think you have to lead by example. I think if you want people to work hard, you have to work hard. If you want people to care, you have to care. I think um, you want to, and I, and I alluded to this under, under uh, the cultural question. Um, it sounds cheesy, but I really think it's true. And it's at the heart of how we think about hiring and bringing people in you wanna create environments where people can be the best version of themselves. So you wanna draw out the best version of a person, enable them, and that's a combination of giving, and it's different for each person, giving them direction, giving them the freedom to experiment, but you wanna create an environment that fosters that. And then as I alluded to, you wanna represent your constituents, you wanna represent your investors, you wanna represent your employees, you wanna represent, in our case, our investments. We invest in a number of small businesses you want to help them. You want to live up to the mission, the reason that they took capital from you. So there's a lot of different folks that you serve in any leadership capacity. And I think those are the types of things that I think are, or at least I try and embed uh, in, the, in the way I think about it in, in my role.
0: That's a, that's a great response. You, you, you mentioned, and you didn't go into detail about it. That's why I want to follow up with it. But you talked about how you know people will, will work side by side, leader and, and, and follower. And I think it's something that a lot of leaders uh, miss a little, you know, miss the, miss the boat on is that they, uh, is, is that they fail to, you know, provide that role model that when, when followers see the leader, you know, rolling up the sleeves and doing the hard work and willing to get right into the trenches, you know, with them uh, that goes a long way. And it, it really goes into what's called social learning theory, is you know, yeah. what the, what the role model is or who the role models and what they're doing and what you're actually you know what the followers are actually seeing from the behavior of the leader i think that's super,
1: super important across both kind of core primary business functions and, and just at attitudinal meaning mm-hmm. um, i think it's tough to work for people that think they're too good to do anything and so whether that's literally putting the dishes away cleaning the office being the first person in, the last person out, being respectful to any constituent that you interact with, like being a, a good person, not just a good employee, but a good person. And then I do think from a role perspective, um, it's exce- I, I, I've worked for people who were exceptionally capable, and when they asked you to do something, they could do it more quickly and more effectively from when they used to do it. And that's I think that's, again, inspiring, aspiring, and it tends to eliminate little bit of that hierarchical feel where someone's asking you to do something that they either wouldn't or couldn't do so i do think and again that contradicts another another kind of hallmark of being a good leader which is hiring people that are ultimately smarter and more talented than you are um, and can do things that you could do probably better so there's a there's a dynamic there where you want to make sure that people understand that you're not too good for anything you should, could, and would do any of it, um, but you're also trying to optimize by hiring people that are better at some of those functional roles than maybe you were when you were there. And I, and I think you know, this is not self-deprecating. I think in many of the businesses, certainly the one I'm in today, um, that is 100% true. You know, the, the young, talented, up-and-coming folks are generally a lot better, at a lot of the tactical stuff than any of
0: us were when we were young. Interesting. Well, that, that brings me to my next question is, you know, what advice would you give to other leaders regarding human performance? So human
1: performance, um, is, is almost a topic on its own. So like, how do you get the best out of, I think you have to start with yourself. Like, how do you get the best out of yourself and that really, if you get the best out of yourself, you're going to get the best out of yourself, not just in the work component of your life, but you're going to get the best out of yourself and all the other things that you do, whether you're a father a brother, a sister, a coworker, um, and an athlete. And so I think there's a lot of things that I do or experiment with from, you know, wearing devices uh, that measure, you know, how you're doing on your steps and your heart rate and your heart rate variability to experimenting with diet and nutrition and exercise and sleep and Meditation and coaching and cognitive behavioral therapy and float tanks and visualization and breathing. And there's so many things you can do to just enhance the way you physically perform and mentally perform as a human, almost all of which accrue to your job performance. If you're, if you calm your anxieties, if you're getting good sleep, if you're well-rested, well-hydrated, you know, following great nutrition protocol, Um, has a huge impact on your performance, not just physically, but also mentally in the office. So um, I would give people, people, humans, and certainly leaders the advice to take care of yourself first, because it's much easier to be good at almost anything if you're doing a good job of taking care of yourself. Specifically, um, I would say um, developing empathy is a very important thing in being a leader. It's very hard to effectively lead people if you can't understand where they're coming from. People are very different. Um, both people laterally and below and above you are very different, so understanding that human drive and where people are coming from. Um, trying to be you know, honest to a fault, super transparent, authentic. Um, I'm a big believer in that people can respond to tough data. Uh, people want the actual, they want the truth. They wanna understand how things work. They're, you know, They're not always gonna hear exactly what they want, but it's better than uh, painting a mirage or something that's not realistic. Um, and so those would be big chunks uh, of the advice as it relates to the human performance piece. I think experimentation. Everybody's different. Some people respond great to, you know, to certain modalities. Some people don't. But um, trying a lot of different things over a long period of times and really tracking as to what's working. What's enhancing your ability to, you know, to get to get a lot out of yourself again in the business context or, or in other contexts of your life.
0: Well, you know, what what you mentioned there and, you know, you pointed to your watch, I, you know, I got a watch. Um, But as just opposed to maybe just 10 years ago, I think leaders are um, much more receptive to data regarding human performance. uh, Is I think they're becoming uh, uh, just more aware of the underpinnings that people uh, have that uh, you know that, that actually uh, spur their performance and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm in the um, in, 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 as a psychologist I'm, I'm really looking at beliefs and attitudes and I can measure all that stuff uh, but I'm wondering you know what have you found that's really been uh, you know just integral as far as w- like when you said when people are really receptive to the data you know what? What data are, are are they are they are they receptive to, and are they are actually excited to see something about themselves and how it can help them? You know, perform better. So it's it's actually a hard question, um, and
1: and I probably personalize it in terms of the data that I track. But I think broadly, people enjoy uh, personality assessment. I think people enjoy understanding. There's a lot of different ones. There's. Um, There's some classic ones like, you know, introversion versus extroversion, Meyer Briggs. Um, I've rarely gone through an exercise like that, either myself or with other people, and not had them take note and say, that's interesting. Maybe that's why I am the way I am, or now I understand why I react to certain situations. Um, So that's probably a broad, very business specific or business applicable. Um, I think giving people feedback on how they're being perceived, I think one of the biggest challenges for people in general, and certainly for everything from the the most junior employee up to a leader is kind of blind spot identification. Um, Mm -hmm. It's easy to fix the things you know about. It's really hard to fix the things you don't know about. And so if people won't tell you what you're doing wrong or how you're being misperceived, it's very hard to to adjust. I've had a career coach for 19 years. That's been super helpful Um, tactically you know as you mentioned there's just stuff available today that wasn't available 5 10 years ago you can track your heart rate variability you can track your you know your sleep and your quality of sleep and your rem sleep you can track your heart rate and you you know with those three things you know this device a whoop will give you a recovery score but you can give yourself a pretty good assessment based on how much sleep you're getting and quality of that sleep where your heart rate where your heart rate variability is how you're responding to stress and you can adjust it's very hard to adjust um, I am not one of those humans who can, uh, do well with little sleep, but for much longer than I care to admit, I told myself I was, I said, I'm one of the small percentage of the population that only need four <laughs> hours. You know, it was like an ego thing. I, I'm one of those. I'm not, there's 1% of the population. I'm not one of them, but for decades I didn't get enough sleep and it probably had a really meaningful impact on my performance. And back then you just didn't have a very visible output. Had you been wearing one of these, it would have said your recovery's terrible, your heart rate variability is real low, and your heart rate's spiking, Um, which if you're an athlete or if you're just trying to perform well in a business context are very negative indicators on your likelihood of success. So I think there's like, I respond really well to hard data. I
0: also
1: have a slightly obsessive compulsive brain. And so (laughs) if you give me something to track, I will have a hard time not tracking it. So again, different people respond to different things. You got to find the things that people respond to and try and get them the data that can make, make those things actionable for them.
0: Yeah, as a data hog myself, I'm, 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 full, I'm in full agreement with you there. Just you know, give me the number and I'll, I'll be able to figure it out. But you mentioned something earlier about uh, empathy. And one of the things I've learned is that the uh, personality uh, theories and, and, and evaluations can be a great tool to develop empathy because not only can it create, you know, self-awareness within yourself as far as you know what your tendencies are, but once you you know have a greater understanding and a greater self-awareness of who you are, then you through personality assessments you can figure out how other people are and what their preferences, tendencies, and communication styles are, and so from from that point of view, it becomes less of an um, an emotionally based way to teach uh, empathy, even though it is a a um, uh, it, it is a, 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 an emotional skill, but you can teach it through a cognitive approach, which I find that a lot of people are very receptive to. That
1: makes a lot of sense to me, because I think before you go through an exercise like that, and someone says, hey, you're a wild extrovert,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you just think that's how everybody is. So <laughs> you're presented with the spectrum, or you're you're reasonably introverted, and you say, okay, well that's why at the end of the day I get really tired and I want to spend some time alone. So I think you're right. Being exposed to this spectrum, I've seen different office environments do. There's like a, a color test: whether are you blue, you're yellow, or you're red. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've known we didn't, we haven't done it here. We've done those tests, but people have put those things up on their door, and so you walk by someone's office and you're like, okay, that's an introvert with a yellow personality. Um, they're going to be friendly, but they might want to, they might not want to get bothered all the time. So I think you're totally right. I think those exercises are very helpful because you realize that, A, where am I? But you also realize there's lots of other places on that spectrum. And so you have to bear that in mind.
0: That's that's great. So uh, who are your role models, uh, your leadership role models, and uh, what did you learn from them?
1: So that's a really hard question for me because I don't feel like I had any one. I feel like, you know, I worked at Salomon Brothers in the mid-90s, it was like a cowboy culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've worked at a family office that had a very dynamic environment. And so I don't have one or two people where I say I wanted to be like Jim or I wanted to be like Sally. And, you know, they're they're the aspirational leadership type. Um, I also think humans learn better through negative feedback than positive feedback. So I think you learn a lot more about who you want to be from seeing things that you don't want, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just, or at least I have. So I've um, been super lucky that I've, I've I've had a number of different job experiences. Like I've been at a number of different firms, um, and I've had the benefit of working with a ton of really intelligent people. Uh, but I've also worked with people that were difficult and challenging and not great leaders. So so across the spectrum, I will tell you, I think my morals, my values, my desire, how I want to be, were much more informed reacting against things as opposed to reacting for things. But it's a It's kind of a panetta of you get exposed to a lot of stuff and you, and this can be micro. This can be like, how do you, how do you, how do you sell? How do you manage conflict? And you'll see somebody yell at people and you'll say that I don't like that. And you'll see someone do it in a very um, human fashion. You say, Oh, I like that. So that's, it's like a double example. And I think that's across most of the, you know, to the extent that I've developed any leadership capabilities, it's been that combination of, Picking different people in my life, both professionally and non, um, who are doing things that you think are are interesting or doing things that violate your sense of, of what you think is the right way to do stuff, and reacting accordingly. So it's been a really interesting combination. Um, I've asked, I've been asked that question, and I and I've heard people talk about people that you know work for one woman or one man, and they shaped everything. I did not have that experience. It was not one person. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it goes back again to the concept of, uh, social learning theory and role models is that, you know, the, uh, j- just the fact that there are negative role models 100%. is that, yeah, you know, is that, no, I don't want to do it like him or her. And that can have as profound an impact on, uh, on your leadership behavior as any positive role model. And it's, uh, and, and this is a really, uh, important point for, you know, particularly for, uh, uh, the younger people is that, you know, they may be stuck with a bad boss is that, okay, if you're stuck with a bad boss, then learn from that boss about how not to be a boss about the things and, and then try to figure out how did that person get to that position right? And, and why are they like that and then try to protect themselves as they manage their career as they grow older and and, and and wiser as far as what you don't want to be like in order to enhance human performance. That's really, you know, that that's really what it comes down to. I really agree with that. So, all right. So um, how do you relax? How do you celebrate? So this is,
1: I, I both don't think I do a good job at either one of those things. And I've been told I do a poor job at both of those things. Um, so i I'll give you a- answers, um, both good and bad. Um, I think a lot of times I take like an easy way, which is I'll go out and you know, eat and drink a bunch and celebrate that way. And uh, I, I had a, a funny post earlier this summer, I'd taken 10 weeks of a really clean diet and not drinking. And I had a drink and I posted celebrating good behavior with bad behavior. So sometimes I think I make the wrong choice. It's like, you just want to do something to relax. What do I love to do? What relaxes me? I'm a big fitness fan. Um, I do a little bit of martial arts, or I did a little bit of martial arts before uh, before COVID. Um, I have a, you know, I have young kids. Love spending time with my family. Um, I love driving. I just took a big driving vacation. So I like active relaxation. I have increasingly, the older I get, a relatively hard time with passive relaxation. When I was younger, I could go to the beach for a week and and relax. Uh, I find myself now. That lasts a day or two and I get a little stir crazy. So active relaxation is better for me than passive.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, it's, it particularly like you know, uh, going, dry, you know, going for a drive or you know, going for uh, you know, some kind of escape is that I'm finding people are turning away from what you said is the indulgent things like eating and drinking and moving more towards to what's called a delayed gratification reward. Is that something that they really enjoy doing, but they won't do it until they uh, achieve something. So, uh, you know, maybe they're, uh, you know, they're, they're avid fishermen, uh, whether, uh, you know, deep sea fishing or, or uh, fly fishing, or I had one person tell me that what they really love to do is scuba dive. And they won't take that, you know, that scuba diving trip until, you know, uh, until a, a project is completed. Right. You know, so I think what you're talking about is that delayed gratification thing where you where you experience something and where it's just not a a momentary thing, but it's something that you can draw upon and will actually refuel you for for the, you know, for for the next, uh, you know, know, for, for the next project.
1: Yeah, I think life is full of a huge number of paradoxes and there's a lot of mirages out there. I think the short, quick, celebratory eating, drinking tends not to be very rewarding. You don't feel great after doing it, and um, some of the most gratifying things in the world are the things that are the hardest to do. So, you know, it's a you know, cheesy old quote, but I think it's kind of more about the journey than the destination. I've always found destinations very anticlimactic, whatever they are. The process of doing a thing um, is usually much more interesting, even if challenging, and much more um, constitution building uh, mm-hmm. than doing something that's short and, and kind of appears to be fun.
0: And that's a great signpost for human performance in general. And it's really all, it's all about the process.
1: Yeah, there's no, there's no end.
0: Yeah. So is, is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: No, listen, I'm, I'm, I was, I was flattered to, to have the opportunity to chat. Um, these are things I love talking about. Um, you know, I feel, I think I said this in the, in the, in the conversation you and I had. Um, I didn't start the world thinking I was going to be a co-leader or leader of anything. So I, I take the obligation and the responsibility real seriously and try and work really hard at it. And, um, you know, can only hope that that effort will allow me to do a, a reasonable job. Um, you know, so I'm flattered to have been, have been asked to be on and I really appreciate the time.
0: Well, Ben, it's, it's been great having you. And I certainly appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time to uh, spend with us uh, here on the X Factor. So how, how can people contact you?
1: That's easy. Um, I am uh, Ben at Level Equity uh, is my email, and that's probably the easiest way. I am relatively quick response, so if people want to get in touch, that's the easiest way to do it.
0: Terrific. All right, well, everybody, that's it for today. We'll uh, look for you next time. Again, I'm Dr. Stephen Long, and this has been the X Factor, uh, the Human Performance and Leadership Podcast. We'll see you next time.